Hey, welcome to another episode of The After Set. I'm Joe, Junior Assistant Manager here at the Comedy Club on State Street. I'm joined by... Hi, my name is Mike Drojo. I'm uh, the best busser we have. He's pretty good. Uh, in this episode, we talk to Tommy John again. We talk about what it's like to have something that you put your heart and soul in get canceled right in front of your face. Also, he's one of the few comics that has been coming here for an incredibly long time. We talk about that. And uh, him being a new father, trust me, it's it's funny. You'll want to listen to it. Uh, thanks again for joining us. He's got two Comedy Central specials. You've seen him on Last Comic Standing. Please welcome to the stage, Tommy Thank you, thank you. Keep it going for all the comedians. Who needs... Thank you so much. We've seen a bunch. It's been good. Thanks for coming out. It's good to be here today. Uh, Forever Yogurt is gone. So, turns out they were a pack of liars. It's... I don't Was it even yogurt at this point? You, your name is two words and you've lied through your teeth about one of them. How do I know the other one? Wasn't just ice cream with a soft, was it soft serve? You sons of bitches. You tell me, I was so sad to see that Forever Yogurt was out of business. Uh, I stood in front of it with a hobo uh, and we commiserated over it. So, I just think, how much does your life play into what you want to write about? A, a, a bunch. I mean, not even want to write about. I'm in this weird spot right now where I'm, I'm just such, I'm, I am boring. And <laughs> I have, you know, I'm a white guy with two kids. I understand why people d would not get it and not like it, but that's all I have. Like, I don't know, I don't ha I'm not political, I don't vote. I don't have strong beliefs. The strongest belief I have is that we should pay the athletes in the NCAA, and you can't base an hour show on that. <laughs> so I talk about from early on. It was just uh, I, you know, I started. Was like, hey, let's, you know, I worked with Mike Birbiglia when I was eighteen years old, Jesus. and Mike was like uh, first time headlining a shitty funny bone in a city. Birbiglia, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, in in in. Uh, uh, Springfield, Illinois. I was going to not say the city, but then I was thinking about all the other funny bones that would be like, is he talking about ours? <laughs> so it's in Springfield. And Berbiglia's half hour had just aired, and he was nervous. He was like, they're not going to book me back. I didn't think the Thursday show was so good. And I was working with Andy Woodhull and I. were split featuring, which is how, how fun and how long ago it was. We were split featuring, and we were like, this guy has a, t he has a special that just aired Friday of last week. And he's hilarious, and he's worried about getting booked back. Wow. We were almost like, this is, let's get into this. <laughs> let's get into the psyche of this maniac. This guy's fucking great. And then one of the things he told me over the course of that week was like, if you want, you know, if you want to do stuff, he's like, you talk about true stories, talk about your life, talk about your family, tell things that are true, that will be the thing that sets you apart and makes you unique. And then I started doing that, and I started enjoying it, and that's where my, you know, from 19 and a half on, I've tell everything I've said on stage is true and it really happened and it's I'm not making anything up and then now I'm you know 33 uh, with two kids and I'm like you know it's pretty boring 
It's kind of boring. I'm boring. No, but that's... I think when people come to a comedy club, I feel like they want to know more about the person. And then when you start to be able to tell people about about your life, I feel like it. Um, people pay more attention to that because they're interested, they want to know about you, they're interested in that, as opposed to somebody that comes up and just talks about fake things. Yeah. And they're just whatever. I'm jokes. reliant on that. And I, I do believe, I mean, when I think of my favorite comedy, uh, which is, I'm not, I'm not myself. When I do a show, if, if I do a show and like the crowd is not laughing, in my mind I'm like, I totally agree. It's not great. <laughs> and then when, and so I agree with those guys. But the comedy I enjoy is, uh, you know, you watch it, whether it's five, ten minutes or an hour, you know more about the person that was just speaking. But I also like a little bit of that absurd stuff, like Galvanakis and stuff like that. So it's not to say that, but my favorite would be that, the version of the guys that you go up and it's an hour and you're like, that was hilarious. And I feel like I know the dude a little. So that, that's the only thing that I'm holding on to is like at the end of this shit and like you for watching it for 11 years, there's not, you know, just from watching my show once a year for 11 years, because I do try to write and I know I'm here uh, generally once every 12 months. So I'll try to come back and do 40 new minutes out of the 50 minutes or 45 new minutes. Out of, so I always try to have the new stuff. So I'm pretty certain that Joe is up to date with my life because <laughs> you've seen it. And that's and, all I've done. And that's why I feel like I like Chad Daniels so much also, is because he's really good at telling a story, and it's the way he delivers it, but then you really do think that you know that person maybe even more than you really do. Yeah. I don't... I, I, that's the other thing. I don't do it for the audience type thing. I just... I don't know why. I mean, I, I enjoy making people laugh in the true sense of the word make. Like, I think it's a control thing. I like to make someone laugh. Sure. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me. How you, however you feel doesn't I don't care I like to do what I do and it's very selfish and you enjoying your night is a result of me doing a thing that I want to do that's incredible do you feel the same way no I don't uh, <laughs> not many people we, do. <laughs> we've had that talk before where he's just like it's all about uh, I don't as I say it I don't know like there is a part of a big part of me that's like it makes me feel good for people to come up and be like, you were so great. It doesn't matter to me necessarily that they thought that I was, but the fact that that it makes me feel good. Is right, you're good what at he's saying. Yeah, but at the same time, if someone is having a bad day and I help cheer them up, I think more than Tommy, I'm like, I'm glad that I could do that. But you are like... Yeah, I don't... I don't you're I'm lucky. The, I'm not in the business of cheering you up. <laughs> not anymore. I, I would like to, you know, I would like to... I'll cheer you up if you come in and you cheer up. That would that's that's a fine. What I want is to do stand up. I want to get better. I want to work hard. I want to do it, and it's solely because I like the way I feel when you laugh. So as a gr you as the crowd. So like I like I enjoy the way I feel when I make you laugh. So as a result, I try to make you laugh a bunch. Like I try to pepper a story with a bunch of tags. I try to get a bunch of laughs. I do all these things to make you laugh. So and you're in the audience. You're going, well, this guy's, he, you should, in my mind, you should be like, this guy's working his balls off. Like, he's writing, and he's trying to write as many tags as possible, and I'm laughing a bunch of times in the course of 55 minutes, or however long the show is. And you shouldn't care that I don't care how you feel. Right, You should exactly. just come, yeah. 
I think baseball. I'm not. I'm not a baseball player hitting a home run for a dying kid. <laughs> but I think I mean, that's it's a, a contract year for me every year. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it, though, is that you're very much into the craft of what you're doing, the writing and the tagging and the you know, and the better you do on stage means the better you are getting at that particular skill. I think that has something to do with it, where you feel good that you're yeah. getting better at the thing you want to be good at. I like to feel better. Yeah, that's nice to feel better. And I feel bad because I like one of the questions I really wanted to ask you when we got in this room was about was just about the show because uh, but I had already asked you in the car and we already had this long conversation oh, you about ruined it. it in the I, car. I, I, yeah, I really <laughs> did. But that was like a genuine I question. Mean, we can do it, and, and I mean, if you want to, yeah. just the general Podcast question was is that you had a show that was very likely that that the cast on it said like this will be a show and and. It was yeah, about from your the life. word jump. So I I took out the show um, and was this NBC? It was CBS. CBS. So the whole process. I mean, I don't know. Um, we can you can tell me not to say it, but for the podcast, I think you'll get a little more in detail. So you go out. I had this idea for a show, and then my managers and agents are like meet with these people because I was going to be a co-creator. Uh, I had before that I had sold the show to NBC and it and I'd co-written it and then that show had gotten uh, not picked and then bought by another network and then redeveloped. So I'm like too deep into this and I'd never done it on my own. So they were like, we should pair you with a showrunner because essentially a showrunner is the person that is the they're the boss of a business that employs 150 people. When a show gets picked up, there's about 150 people employed and they spend about. 1.3 million dollars per episode so the showrunner wow. the showrunner and that's just my show some shows are more expensive some shows are cheaper uh so my show would have been 1.3 an episode and the showrunner would be the person where they go hey we're ninety thousand dollars over budget is there a way you can uh get rid of that scene at the gas station so we can get rid of that gas station set and we won't have they have to deal with these kind of things so naturally for a show that CBS wants to spend that much money on, they would like a trusted showrunner. So I met with a bunch of people, and then I found my favorites, the Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher, who had commit. Uh, they they'd couple, had a, two shows on TV that had gotten canceled. Justin's written a couple books, and they're just then they're we become best like great friends since then. And so I met with them. I was like, these are the guys. And then we meet with uh, Bill Lawrence, who had produced and created Scrubs and Spin City and Cougar Town. And so he comes on as a producer. So Justin Patrick, our writing team, and myself took out this pitch with Bill and we pitched it to all the networks and it became like a bidding war. And then from literally from the pitch, every you know every network tried to buy it. Then, then it became the highest comedy sale of the whole year. It was like the biggest comedy project of the year. Which had have been like, an awesome experience. All these networks were listening to your crazy. stuff, and they're like, "This is awesome! It's a go." Yes, yeah, so the pitch is like 30, which doesn't always happen. It's like thirty minutes of a. You're like, "Here's the show, and here's the characters." Boom, 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 and it was like a thirty-minute set that I'm like, "I think I killed." And, and every network's like, "We'll buy." It. We'll That's buy it. awesome. That's great. So then it became like NBC and CBS is like, "We'll give it this much." We'll do this, we'll do this. and then it became a bidding war, and then it goes on to the next step, and then we write the script, and then they're like, "Oh my god, we like it." CBS got it. They said, we'll shoot this. And then, um, so we finished the script. It goes on forever. And it's like, my show, it's, the way the easiest way is like, it was my version of Everybody Loves Raymond. It was me, and then the characters around me were 
based on my, my you know, my, my chick was based on my chick. We had a kid. I had a parent. They were divorced. We had all these things. It was all my people from my life, and it would have been my Everybody Loves Raymond on the network that had Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> So now, were you able to pick out the actors that were playing the parts? So we did, any... we cast, you know, we go through cast and we read people and we read people and we read people, auditions, 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 and then we ended up getting the wife, uh, Joanna Garcia Swisher, she has an audition, but she met with us, she was nice enough to come in, she does, you know, she's, and all the, the people, they're above auditioning. And that was the mom from Malcolm in the Middle? Oh, that was Jane Kaczmarek, who's the mom. My wife on the show was Joanna Garcia Swisher who was on the Reba show forever, and she's oh, been right, in a right, bunch right. of TV. She's beautiful and funny and married, great. Married to Nick married, Swisher. Nick Swisher, the baseball player. Oh, yeah. And um, so she's like, I'll, she comes in, met with us, and we're like, we love her. So she's the wife, then Jane Kaczmarek becomes the mom, then Kevin Nealon is the dad. We have had oh. an adorable kid. and uh, <coughs> Kevin Nealon, that's great. Cough button. And then we do a table read of our script for the network with all the cast. You read the parts, you're sitting at a table, and there's a hundred people in the room. It's insane, and it kills. And then the network, so like, here's a couple thoughts. And in hindsight, we overreacted, and we completely rewrote the script. So I've never acted, and I had a script that I knew every single word to every single character. And then we go, fuck, the network didn't like A, B, and C. Let's rewrite this. And we had a rehearsal two days later. So I had to write a script. I was writing it, and then literally we wrote it in two days, rewrote completely, basically, and then started rehearsing it on uh, the third day. And I, I almost like, I'm like, I don't even remember what we wrote. We wrote it at four in the morning. And then we do a run-through, and it doesn't go well, like, I'm like bombing oh, no. because I've never acted and I didn't know any of these words and the director is like do this do this and I was like whatever so I bomb and then they're like alright fuck we have to like adjust this and then CBS is like here's what we did with Ray because Ray Romano was not a Juilliard trained actor no. and they're like you know have, have him drink a cup of coffee have him eat some blueberries they, like, they made these adjustments and then we were like we should do that anyway so then we rewrote it and legitimately I was, we, we were writing it until 5 a.m. each night for like a week. And then from five, I would sleep for an hour in this office at Warner Brothers and then wake up and rehearse it. Ugh. And then that How went on. How even be creative at that point? Like, that's and just... it, we ended up writing a good version and we fixed it and then I did it and we did it and we did another run through and it was great. And then we did another run through and it was great. And then we taped it. We shot it in front of a live audience and it was great. And I did well. And then at that point you're like, well, holy fuck, this TV may, this TV show may get on the air. And then as a dude, I'm just like, I got a kid, I got a thing, I'm touring, and I'm like, this is, I'm looking at, I'm looking at like, I'm literally looking at Ray Romano. I'm like, well, this, this happened. This is what his life did, and he was a club comic, and now he's a Carnegie right. Hall album Incredibly recorded. Like he's a, wealthy. And you're like, all right, well, you can't. You start thinking about the dough, and then you start thinking about the life changing, and. Sure. And just like, dude, this is insanity. And uh, then just one day you get a call, and they're like, it's not looking good. And then that's the day you're like, oh, shit. So there's, and you can't give up, even when someone from the network calls and it's like, not looking good. Your mind won't let you just give up on it. Because we sold it. I met with Justin and Patrick in June. We sold the show in September, and we shot it in April. So June to April, 
And then May, which is 11 months later, May was when they called and said, we're not picking it up. Wow. And then now it's gone. And everything's gone. And it's like dead. Crazy. And then you feel like, I like had this weird thing where I'm like, I let my family down. Yeah. I could have been so much better. Like it's, you know, it's great. I, you know, I like a nice car. I would have a Porsche. I would be the guy, I would have a Porsche. I love the car. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> the greatest cars ever. But the bigger thing is like, with that money, my fucking kid would go to the whatever school thing, and then the whatevers and the things. So I start, I let my family down and I missed out on a Porsche. <laughs> That's how I thought about it. So it took a, it took a minute to recover from it. I cried a bunch. And also, not to podcast, uh, be a downer, but sold the show, working on the show, my dad calls and said, I'm dying. So while I'm writing the show, my dad's dying, and I'm flying back and forth to see him, and then he passes away, and then we get picked up. So it's this fucked up thing where your brain, I just started drinking. I, was, I remember like being in the edit bay for the pilot in the middle of the day and just drinking Jack Daniels. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a whiskey dude. I was like a What are you bomb. drinking right now? That's Tellamore Dew. It's a little mm-hmm. Irish whiskey. Sure. Now I've got it under control. I had to stop drinking for like four months after everything happened just to be, you know, I can be a one-drink guy. But at the time, I was like a <laughs> bottle of whiskey a day. Jeez. Just getting through. And I just buried that dad dying thing. And it sounds fucked up, but it's... The the career thing was just like, let's drive through, let's edit the show, let's get the show picked up. It's great for the family. And then they don't pick up the show. And then it's one of those things where it's it's it literally felt like something, oh, this happened. Oh fuck. And then and then when you pull back the you, you open up the, the lid, they're like, Oh fuck, we still have to deal with your dad dying? We forgot to do that. So I just dealt with both of them at the same time. I literally felt it sounds crazy. I literally felt like I had lost a hundred million dollars and my dad died at the same time because I had pushed off that feeling and then I just drank and drank and drank and drank. Was this the hardest thing you've had to deal with? It was a bummer. Yeah, it was, the, it was by far the hardest. I have a pretty great life. It's a, yeah. I feel bad about how good my life has been. You joke about it during the set. You say yeah. it's pretty easy. Or you say being I just a like, white... I'm a white guy from the Midwest. You know, my mom and dad got divorced. Uh, wow. You know what I mean? It didn't affect me. And then my mom met a... When I was eight years old, my mom met my stepdad, and I... I won the stepdad lottery. Like, I called my... The first... When my dad passed away, my stepdad was around for 25, 25, 30 years. So my... I get a call from my brother, my dad passed away. The first person I call is my stepdad, which is a weird moment. Right. That's awesome. Not not weird for me, but, like, I... Like, it would be weird for me. Like, you called the... You know what you called your other guy? And uh, the and then I told him, and then he goes, "Do you want me to go? Do you want me to come down to the funeral with you?" Because my parents, my stepdad doesn't know, and my dad doesn't. And he, my stepdad came to. He like fucking drove to Tennessee from Illinois to just be there. How long was he your for step- the funeral? How long has he been your stepdad? Like thirty years. That means like it's a pretty serious. Twenty five years. Yeah. Wow. So that's the, you know that was like yeah. the. You did twenty dealing. minutes. At a comedy show, like made people laugh about talking about your father dying for twenty minutes. Like, oh, I mean, it was. It was, it was probably nine. And it was only nine, 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 but a chunk, which is bold, but it was funny. And you, was, you were toting the line between like it, pushing people's bear. emotions from all, like from the, it works. the whole dynamic. Yeah, it does. I'm still working on it. The end result is the same. You're not supposed to joke about cancer. You don't have to tell me. But I visit my dad. He called, said, hey, I have cancer. I go see him and he's making jokes about it. And I go, well, I don't think I can tell the guy with cancer that you cannot joke about cancer. That would be insensitive. 
and rude. He has cancer, he's making people laugh. And then I thought, well, I'm way funnier than this asshole. If we can make people laugh, let me get my hands on. And the hospice nurse was over, and at that point my brother asked the hospice nurse, how long does he have left? And I said, because I've got shit to do. <laughs> to a hospice nurse who does not have a sense of humor. I don't know if you've ever seen someone go through all of their training in 30 seconds, but she didn't know what to say. She looked down at a notebook like there would be an answer for someone who's in a hurry. And then what happened was my dad leans in and he goes, I apologize, my kids never take anything seriously. I apologize on their behalf. And then he said, do you think my penis will stop working? And we all laughed until she was like, yes. And then he was like, whoa, fuck me, that backfired. Jesus, I was really, I was going for a good dick joke there and you really just blew back in my face quite a bit. There are three comics that no lie, when they come here, I'm like, I, I need at least, I need at least one, maybe two, good hecklers in this room for the for the headliner to deal with, and it is you, it's Chad Daniels, and it's Todd Glass. I haven't Those seen, I haven't people. seen him do his thing. I've not seen it. Oh my god, I gotta, it's, it's a that's my favorite. Especially it's home. my favorite part of a comedy club is the, <laughs> the weird thing is is that we're really good at making it so that that usually doesn't happen, so yeah. we don't get to see it that much. But yeah. when we do get to see it, that's it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's it's a, so beautiful because they think that they have a ch like I don't understand why they think that they have a chance. But when you get that guy that thinks that he can that he's funnier than you, and then he and then a couple minutes in he realizes his mistake and tries to get out and you just it's get a, deeper. Uh, the, the 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 men when it's a man. It's a it's an alpha thing. So you have to defeat that man and embarrass him and he'll he'll be quiet. And everyone enjoys it. Everyone's like, Oh, this fucking guy <laughs> Especially if the guy's being malicious or whatever, if he's being disruptive. And then I over the over the years I've like I've lengthened my fuse, I've learned to breathe a little and also like most importantly, if you tell the audience or if you just say out loud like Hey man, uh, you know I don't want to do any. I don't want to be mean to you, but everyone else is here to see the show, and you're kind of ruining. You're ruining everyone's night. And if you put all that on them, the audience is always on your side. I've just learned that, and everyone loves it when you shut down a man. The problem is, eighty percent of the time, it's a woman. And when you shut down a woman, and this is personal, I've been doing it fifteen years. And if you disagree, then I need, I need to know that you've been doing it 25 years. <laughs> when you shut down a woman, you have to, you have to like come in in a way where you, you get them and you burn them a couple times and then they'll quiet down. That's a, some of them will do that. But a lot of the time, you have to make, the, or I, I'm like, I have to make her mad enough that she crosses her arms and stops. <laughs> like, I need to make her, like, so mad at me that she won't speak or she'll leave the room. I've, I've like, had women cry. But it, that's the only way to shut them down because if you don't get them to that point, they'll be like, oh, that's what you see, motherfucker. They'll keep going at you. <laughs> the problem with that approach is with the man, with the man... It's, it's like being on the fucking shoulder of a sniper, and then he snipes someone from 200 
200 yards away and you're like that was fucking awesome <laughs> but with a woman it's like I used a chainsaw and now you have blood on your face so the audience is like what the fuck is happening oh, I'm picking up a girl yeah so that's a, I have to be like super delicate and I really when it's a woman I fucking lean into that thing of like I just become the nicest guy for 12 seconds of being like I want you to stay but the club's gonna kick you out everyone around you is noticing that you're talking and it's so disruptive and then you just fucking and snipe them. You, like, shank them a couple times with the meanest thing you can think of. And then you go back into, like, this is about these people. This isn't about you. And you just have to be sneaky mean to get them so angry that they leave or they cross their arms or they cry. If you don't do that, they won't shut up. And the problem, I always have this because I have to win. They may shut up for a little bit, but then they'll yell something out. My problem, I'm like, I don't need, I don't, I'm not going to let you wait till I'm at... 54 minutes of a 55 minute set and you say your last thing and then I'm like oh fuck I'm, I only got a minute left I'll let her I'll do I'll, I'll go at you I'll make you cry or I'll make you leave and then I'll finish the show I can't have anyone in any aspect of my life win is there is there me. one time that you can remember that you have a story for of, of like the perfect storm of that happening your proudest uh, heckler handling moment like something that you got done and you were just like, man, that was perfect. Do you have one? I don't have one specific to that, but I was thinking of the one where you and the guy, it escalated too much. Do you know what I'm talking about? Were you there? No, but you've told me about it. I'm trying to think. It's escalated. There's one, there's a bad one where when I was super, I was a middle and uh, I just in, I've naturally, I just have a thing in me that I can't be disrespected on purpose I just it's so I'm like what are you fucking doing we're adults and you're just gonna be like disrespectful and rude like talking down almost That's yeah I don't know what it is maybe there's something I blocked out but the worst one which is, this isn't a bragging uh, well this is this is the one that like changed the way I do it Beautiful. which if you see it now it's like it's the reason I take that extra breath it's the reason I just like come at them is because there was a guy in Fairview Heights Illinois which is where I started and he was Heckling, and then I trash him down, trash him down. How, how old is he, the guy? He's 50, I bet. And you're, Dang. what, 18, 19? 20, 20 years old. Okay. What causes a heckler? So he's, Man. He's just the worst. And he, it's a light crowd. And then he starts being vicious. He's not saying you suck. He's not saying you're not funny. He's just talking to me during it. <laughs> and then saying things like, ba-da-ba-boom-ba, and then whatever. <laughs> and then there's a point where I was like, just stop, dude. Like, stop talking. And he goes, these people would rather hear me than they than you. <laughs> and then there was a thing that went off in my brain, which is in, a, in court trials, that's when people be like, I don't remember what happened next. <laughs> so I was like, that's fucking, uh, you're insane. Like, Bob, I'm like, I'm like, be, I, I, I stopped trying to be funny. I stopped trying to care about the crowd. I start being like, this is me and you. And uh, so I, I go after the point where, I thought I was going to have to fight him. I was like, we're going to have to fight? Is that what we do now? And then two things. One, I said the worst thing I've ever said to a person, and I don't regret that. I said another thing that I regret was he had this fucking uniform on, and I was like, uh, that's why you wear a fucking uniform with your name on it because you work in a fucking factory. And, and then I'm like, still to this day, and it's been 13 years ago, I'm like, most of my family 
have name tags on their shirt. My dad, when my parents got divorced, my dad chose to work in a factory so he could stay home and not be a truck. Like, I don't, I mean, I would have worked in it. If I wasn't, who knows what, I'm like, why the fuck would I attack a man making a living? That I regret. What I said that I don't regret was he kept going and I was like, what I want you to do, I was like, I swear to God, I just want you to fucking leave. I didn't say fuck it because I wasn't cussing. I was like, I want you to leave. I want you to jump. If you jump out of the window right now, I wouldn't feel anything except joy and pure happiness. I would go, even if, because we're on the third floor, I go, even if you didn't die, it would make me, and I'm being serious, it would make me happy to know that you limped for the rest of your life. <laughs> and then I go, I go, I've never said this and I've never felt this, but I want you to die. But first, I want your children to die and I want you to watch it. And then I want you to die. And I've never, I've, I don't feel bad about that because I'm attempting to be funny by being hyperbolic. But I regret the factory thing. And that was two years into comedy, two and a half years into comedy. That was the moment where I was like, I, you can't have a career. Luckily, it was my home club. Luckily, the door staff came up and they were like, did you want us to kick that guy out? I'm like, are you fucking serious? Do you mean, do I, do I, the guy I told I wanted his kids to die, do you think I wanted him to leave the room at some point? Oh my gosh. I don't uh, know how does dude react. He doesn't do anything. He's just drunk and he's, yeah. you know, stupid yeah, he, factory yeah, worker. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. But, yeah, he didn't remember it the next day. I guarantee you, he didn't remember he didn't it happened, and like, and yet it's still with you, and I think that's the best. I thing can't. This is so funny because I'm I forget shows. I don't forget, but it's not. A, it's bad or good or otherwise. And you, you do too many. You can't dwell on the good ones. You can't dwell on the bad ones. You know. I, so I don't have a lot. I remember. I mean, like, uh, like a week, two weeks ago, I was yelling. And some woman yelled out, and I said, I don't remember. What I, but she, it's like this, the perfect setup of a thing where she's like, I'm a lawyer. She's just yelling out, I'm a lawyer. And I was like, oh, you do, do trial law? That's like, that's one of the things I love to do is just to like set the shoes, like trying to get all the attention in the room. And then I'm like, oh, okay, let's give you the, so do you do trial law? And she was like, yeah. And I go, so in court, do you, do you get to speak whenever you want? Or do you, do you think it's, it's up, I, I said some version of like, so in court, do you just get to yell out? Or is, do you have to wait till it's your turn to speak? <laughs> and then uh, she's shut down from that, but that's not the... I literally that's perfect. Yeah, they have yeah. nothing. They can't say anything. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm being an asshole. I've had some, I mean, it's, there's too many, because there's too many people that come and yell and are mean and nice. My favorite one that I've heard a lady say to you, I forget how you responded, but we were working at a, a club, and it was the woman who she would laugh but that like obnoxious kind of like I want my laugh to be heard laugh oh, after man. and in and she was sitting in the front in the corner and eventually you addressed it like right before you got off do you remember the show I'm talking about? Huh. Uh, and <laughs> you're like you have got to you've got to go and I kicked her out? You kicked her out it was, it was the, the week where <laughs> it was club? two nights back to Arlington oh, oh. and uh, so you're like you gotta go like oh, it yeah. was one of those where you can see when you're just done and you're like you gotta get out and so they come and they come get her and I don't it just was my favorite thing she looked at you and she goes you ain't no Kevin Hart and then just walked <laughs> that was uh, yeah I, I like removed them she was she did a thing where I was like 
I addressed him, I tried to be nice, and then when I would go on, she was like, ha, 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 I've never heard that before. It's just like, <laughs> it's just so brutal. And I was like, you gotta go. And then my favorite thing is when I, I don't do it, I've done it f four times in 15 years, but I've done it th three times recently, <laughs> where I'm like, you gotta go. My favorite thing maybe in all of stand-up, is being like, you gotta get out of here, and then being like, I'm not going anywhere, and then I'm just like, you don't know how things work. <laughs> You're going. And then I just, I'm like, there's, and, I'm, and maybe I like it too much, because... If if you're being like, if you're just gonna be like, through the through the end of a bit, I'm like, you're fucking gone. And she was like, you're you're no Kevin Hart, and I was like, I'm too tall to be Kevin Hart, <laughs> whatever. But uh, man, I forgot about that. Oh, that's have you? And I know you've heard it. And I have, for whatever reason, uh, throughout all of these podcasts, I tend to talk about specific other comics a lot. But uh, Chad Daniels has that story about middling. At a show and kicking out a whole bunch of people before the headliner goes up. Have you heard the story? Huh. So he, uh, oh my God, he told us the greatest stories. He not that yours aren't great. He uh, he said he was middling at the after club. the Facebook post. I, come on, that was not supposed that to be. Yours I wanted Chad and, and you in like, on it. And not I that yours great. aren't. And then you say not that yours aren't great. That's the. Uh... I just well because of how you took the Facebook post. I didn't want you to think that I'm downgrading. <laughs> But, so, Chad Daniels is at this club, he's featuring, and uh, this lady won't shut up, and he, like, acknowledges her, and she's like, you, you know, you really need to be quiet. And uh, a couple minutes go by, and she says something else, and he's like, look, if you don't be quiet, you and your whole group are kicking out, you know. So then a couple minutes go by, and she says something else, and he's like, fine, look, you and your whole group are out, and I don't care. And the bouncer walks up to the stage and goes, uh, yeah, that's a Christmas party, she's here with a hundred people. And Chad goes, well, I'm not going to be the asshole. And then, so they took out 100 people out of the showroom before the headliner got up. I like that. I, I've kicked out, not kicked out, I walked the majority of an audience. <laughs> even better, even better. Before Jesse Joyce one time. Oh, wow. When what? back, right around the time when I was coming here, Jesse, I probably was this, the week that we were here because it was Lacrosse, Wisconsin. What do you play? What do you do in Lacrosse? Yoder used to have this one-nighter in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which I think was the worst. What room was it at? So it was curious. at a fucking hotel, and there's a... I remember the river being the around and... around the uh, the edge of sure. the hotel. So there were... And it's a terrible room. There, the, it was designed in a way where there were eight seats in front of you, and then there was a... You step up, and there's like a, uh, a uh, balcony... <laughs> Like, which is eye level with the stage that you can see 30 people at. And then to your direct left, it's the deepest L. It's like goes forever back to your left. Huh. And it's a bar. So it's this long you, ho horseshoe bar. So there are people at the horseshoe bar that are just drinking because they're there at the hotel. There's four people up front. And then there are 20 people, 22 people in that little balcony right there and they're being loud and whatever and I just tear into them and shut you know blah 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 you can't do this and then I got to the point because it was one I was like I gotta fucking make them leave and so I just go like they're like we're the blah. and I was like I don't care who you are you're the worst people in the world you're so selfish this isn't about you I don't care about you guys this, and just like go, go, and then they all are like you know what we're gonna leave and I'm like that's the best thing that's ever happened and they all leave 
<laughs> and now there's four people in front of the stage, and there's about six people far, far, far right. And I come off, and I was like, uh, sorry about that. And Jesse's like, yeah, you just, you walked, you walked the, majority. the audience. <laughs> that's, that was the audience. And I was like, you didn't want to perform. <laughs> Fuck those guys. I just played bouncer for yeah. sure. Fuck those guys. <laughs> so then Jesse had to do 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> Lacrosse, man, that was the hardest. It's that was the hardest of all the gigs. It's super blue really? collar. I yeah. hated it so hard. It's so it. blue collar. Not, that's not, because I wouldn't say intelligent. You know, they dangled that that Madison in front of it, right? Well, if you want to do this, yeah, that was the, the big Yoda thing. They were like, oh, you know, do lacrosse, then you do. There was no even separating them. When I did it, there, there, legitimately, no one had ever not done lacrosse and done Madison. That didn't exist at that point. You couldn't just do the weekend in Madison. Wow, I had no idea. And it was rough. <laughs> it sounds it's awful. Rough. Bars have to be the worst. Bar and I remember the I remember the walk because I would stare. The it had a there's a river. You hated it so much that you remember everything. About there's it. like a the the um, what's the thing when you put like a strip of wallpaper at the top? I should know this. My stepdad built houses. It's like you the put trim? a sh- little trim, put a little wallpaper trim at the top. It's, you know, like this big. Okay. So oh, a little I trim at the yeah, top. There's a word for that. And it, it, there is a word for it. Yeah. And it, but it went across the top of the bar, and it was the river with the landmarks and the who, what right. part of the river. And I remember doing that room so much and the shows being so bad that I would just talk and I would follow the river as I was speaking. And I would, <laughs> I would like, go so downstream crazy. And then it, that would go back up, stream like a salmon. Like a, Completely on autopilot. Yeah. I've been able to watch entire basketball games like while doing shows and stuff. It's pretty awesome. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> I don't understand how that's even it's, possible. Yep, it's that's a muscle. I went into the delivery room twice because I've had two kids. And it's 2016. And they make you go in there if you're the dad. And I'm here, I'm telling you publicly, it's stupid. And we should stop doing it. Stop bringing these dumb dads into the delivery room. It's no good. It doesn't help. It's never in the history of doing it helped. Never has a doctor rushed out of a delivery room and been like, we were in some real shit back there. <laughs> Luckily, that man was roaming around in everyone's way, <laughs> pointing at things, going, what's this one do? He's the real hero. There were nine doctors and a clown for a living, and he's the MVP. Um, well, we've reached the point where ple- you have a podcast, Tony? I do have a podcast. It's called Wild and Out without Nick Cannon. Are you dead serious? Nice. That's what it's called. Yeah, it's called. Well, it is for now. Nick Wilding Cannon. Out? Wild Wilding Out. There was. Do you remember the TV show on MTV called Wild oh, and Out? It's still around. Wild and Out. So W I L D N N space N. Uh, Wild and Out with Nick Cannon is on. Uh, it's a TV show. <laughs> so we have a podcast called Wild and Out without Nick Cannon. Tell, please tell me you've had Nick Cannon on the podcast one time. No, the name is without Nick Cannon. I know. How hilarious would that be? Ironically, Nick Cannon's Nick Cannon. lawyer has reached out. So Nick Cannon and uh, Viacom, who is MTV, they own MTV, yep. and they did Wild and Out. Uh, Viacom and Nick Cannon's attorney called my manager and said, we're sending a cease and desist. They need to change the name. And so now we're just calling it that <laughs> until uh, we have... We, you know, but I told my. Really I was like, have to change it. Yeah, so it's called Wild and Out without Nick Cannon as of <laughs> now, and then at some point Nick Cannon's lawyer will make us stop that. You should put that. Be, that be an episode on the podcast. 
Who is it? Just you? Me, Justin Halper, and Patrick Schumacher. The guys. That, oh, the guys uh, that you became yeah. really good friends with. What do you guys? Yeah. What do you talk about? Just seven. It's seven episodes deep so far. We we talk about nothing. We talk with the bunch. You know, it's just. Do you talk stories. about the business? Like we'll talk about the business. We'll talk about parenting. Uh, we'll talk about this. You know, we'll talk about uh, the fact that I think dead bodies are nothing and they're not the person and. This last episode, Wait, I, I said. Wait, what? The last, our last episode. I think the bulk of it was me saying, I, I, I don't know why it's le- illegal to have sex with dead bodies. So, because I, I kind of agree with I you. I think though. a body no has a consciousness. A body is a thing. It's It'd not be a like person. fucking a couch, basically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we talk about that. <laughs> and parenting. And and also how to raise a good child. That's what do you got going on? I got. Uh, I got a football podcast. Nice. Dude, really? It's on hiatus. Like yeah. an NFL? An NFL podcast. Uh, me and a buddy from Cincinnati. It's called Fuck You, We Like the Bengals. And we just roast whoever the Bengals play each week. So Really? Yeah, yeah. So if you like the Bengals or you just want to hear what we say about your team, that will start uh, when football Cincinnati Packers, I think. Yeah. I think, the, the, Packers, I think the Bengals play the Packers every year, at least one game, I thought. They can't play every year. They didn't play this past year. Why can't they play every year? Uh, I guess they could, AFC, NFC, but they, the FC and NFC, they rotate what conference they play, so they'll they'll play four games of an in two. You play one NFC division. You play one, yeah. So they'll rotate the four. Yeah. They'll go east, west, north, south. Mm-hmm. Oh and wow! Then, I had no clue. And then the, so that leaves two leftover games that they'll generally make like the rivalry games. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I guess I didn't know that much thought. I thought they like I don't know. I drew it out. They do plan. They do plan it. That's why. You, that's why Peyton Manning and uh, Tom Brady were able to play for so long because they would, if they weren't, you know, the NFC. You'll play your division, each team in your division twice. So that's six games, and then you'll play an AFC, a full AFC division. Mm-hmm. So that takes you to uh, ten. And then you play another an NFC, and that takes you to fourteen. And then the other two are they pick them, so huh. they'll pick like fucking Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning if it doesn't line up. So that's I why thought I, I knew a lot about football. That's why we've seen that so many times. Well, I'm glad we ended the podcast like that. <laughs> it's officially so, the lowest uh, point of the podcast. Oh yeah, go Packers. Idiot. Go Packers. Idiot. <laughs> What's all these time codes? Um, so what we do actually in the podcast is called the after. After set, because we often, usually, we talk about your show more and talk about actually specific jokes. Me? Yeah, that's how we usually do. So this is actually your real show. I actually sat in the back booth and listened to your show and broke it down joke by joke, of parts that stood out to me and kind of, in, and my plan was to kind of revisit just mm. portions, maybe 10 seconds of a joke, just to give you the, the audience a little bit of context when we're talking about That's it. cool. Well, did yeah. I ruin your podcast? No, not at all. No, no, no. I'm the master thought... editor as well, so yeah. So like, I'll probably just edit this part. Yeah. Out. <laughs> I, I Don't thought... edit this part out. This is okay, what people yeah, yeah, yeah. like. I honestly thought that because you wanted to do this as a special, uh, that um, we wouldn't use any of the audio from the actual show. Because normally we will put some actual yeah. audio from the show or into the podcast. Never use a whole joke, but sometimes I'll use any, sometimes just context and a little bit of a joke is enough to make yeah. someone laugh. I say keep this in, but also you know it, it is a. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. I'm trying to look at what you said. Does it, it just says he sucks at the bottom. <laughs> this is weight gain. This is all. This is all your father's stuff. Before that, yeah. says that you fingered your wife. That was a cool joke. People really worked the crowd well. You had two 
consecutive applause breaks and the jokes before that about being a bad person and throwing uh, milk. Oh yeah. People protein shakes. That's a funny. Put people off. Yeah, it was great. You had two applause breaks back to back. It's, that doesn't happen very often. That's a uh, that's a non that's not a natural reaction. And then I had started here the lollipop joke from your uh, with your daughter. That was a really good one. All right. That way you can revisit and know exactly where during the set you were talking about yeah. that. Well, I hope you. I hope I'm. I hope I'm good at comedy. Yeah, your set was great. No, I guess I just I guess I just assumed never, a lot yeah. of a lot of comics so we're so, not a lot, but some comics have an issue with us using any sort of audio from their show. Um, so then we don't do it. And I just assumed there was another comic that that was about to do a special and they made it very adamant that they don't want anything used. So I just assumed yeah, we wouldn't talk about the actual jokes just because of that. Oh, thanks. But plus we got into some fantastic just stories that was well, awesome. I came out just chatting. Yeah. Thank you. That was fantastic. Thanks for doing this. You're yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for being well. on. Absolutely. What's this so I said, Dad, I got a girlfriend that I like very much, and I get a call from this other girl, and she said, I want to meet up with you, and I want to have sex, and I'll keep it a secret. And then I got real quiet. And then my dad goes, you don't get that call every day. Well, that sums it up quite nicely. You do not get that call every day. He said, I think you should do it. That was his fatherly advice. I think you should do it. He said, so I'm gonna be honest with you, you're 18 years old, you and this other gal's most likely gonna break up. And when you break up, the first thing you'll do is regret not meeting up with this chick and having sex with her. And if you guys don't break up, we'll call this the one you snuck in under the deadline. I'm like, all right. Count it. So me and this girl meet up and we have sex. It's not great. I, I told you, I'm not great. And then we leave, we're in a hotel, we're a shady hotel. We leave at five o'clock in the morning, not exaggerating by one second, my phone rings and it's my dad. And he said, I've been thinking about it all night. I don't think you should do it. Well, you don't get this call every day.